0: This message by Zach Varnell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Zach serves as a pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 7. We're continuing our series looking at the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start... Today in verse 12. This is the word of God. These are the words of life we want to look at this morning. Verse 12. So, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are sobering words. But these instructions, these commands, these warnings from our loving Savior, they are a means of His grace for our endurance. In fact, I think that's the main point today. God will keep you as you follow Him. We're coming to the end of this great sermon, the greatest one ever preached. Jesus has taken us to soaring heights of what life in the kingdom is like, what life is like for those who love Christ, who belong to him. What an honor it is to be in the kingdom. And as we've studied this, we realized we cannot do these things that he's called us to in our own strength, on our own. We cannot do them apart from his grace. Life in the kingdom is supernatural. And that's his point. That's the work he is accomplishing in us. We are poor in spirit. He is mighty in power. And as he begins his Conclusion of this sermon, he's preparing us. He's preparing us for the difficult road that lay ahead, all so that we might endure. It's been known as the greatest advertisement ever posted. The way the story goes, it was 1900, and Ernest Shackleton paid for an ad in the London Times newspaper. And he was seeking to recruit men to sail with him on his ship, the Endurance, on an expedition to the Antarctic. And this is how it read. This was the advertisement. Men wanted for hazardous journey, low wages, bitter cold, long hours of complete darkness, safe return doubtful but honor and recognition, an event of success. And apparently, the way the story goes, the response was overwhelming. Well, Jesus, in our text, he's calling us to the greatest expedition ever known to man. The greatest calling. And he's honest. The difficulty is great. The way is narrow. Few will find it. People will try to deceive you. Others will be deceived themselves. But in the end, it's the path to life. And he will be the one who guides us there. He will keep you as you follow him. So this is how we're going to look at the the text this morning. Verse 12, it's a summarizing command, all that Jesus has been teaching. And then starting in verse 13, he begins his conclusion. He invites us onto this path of life And then in verse 15, he begins to warn us about the dangers so that we'd stay there. We'd stay on this path to life. So point number one, the summarizing command, love others like you love yourself. Look at verse 12 again. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Verse verse 12 is the golden rule. And Jesus says it sums up everything. Everything. There have been so many forms of this saying throughout history in all manner of contexts. I actually grew up in an elementary and middle school that this was part of the code of conduct. There were three rules. The first two were basically don't bring any weapons or drugs to school. And the third one was this. Treat others the way you want to be treated. It was a mantra. It was ingrained in us over and over again. We never did it, but it was ingrained in us over and over again as young people. Some form of this rule has appeared in every major world religion throughout history. We say it in our homes, in the workplace, even among secular people. It's the golden rule, but that's detached from the context. It's not meant to be just some godless ethic. Just behaviors that have nothing to do with the Lord. Jesus says this is a summarizing command of God. This is the law and the prophets. His point is that all of God's commandments of scripture, all of his exhortations for how to live a life that pleases him, obey him, a life of godliness, they find their aim right here love others that comes out of a love for him that's why the pharisees were so wrong this is who jesus was preaching against the, the pharisees had boiled religion down to just this list of behaviors this is how you treat people you don't murder them you don't commit adultery with them you don't steal for them, from them and, and then you're good The law has a much deeper aim. Love others like you love yourself. It's actually, it's a staggering command if you think about it. This is what it means. All the longings that I have for my own personal safety, my own comfort, my own happiness, my own success, my own health, I am now to feel that for you. I mean, that is radical. That is so different than how our world thinks. And it's also so far beyond what selfish, self-oriented people like me can do. That's what makes it so powerful. Who can do this? Only those who know the love of Christ. 1 John 4, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Jesus doesn't treat us like we deserve. That's the Father's heart towards us. That's what he's been teaching us about in this sermon. And so, not only are we called to, we get to treat other people like that. Here's what I think is so remarkable. Jesus takes and employs something that we're really good at. We are so good at prioritizing ourselves, taking care of ourselves, serving ourselves, loving ourselves, blessing ourselves. And he isn't necessarily saying, just stop doing that, stop doing that. No, he's saying, well, you're really good at that, so let's use it for others. Turn it towards others. So, Here's the application. Go go write a list of all the ways you love to be served. Uh, Write a list of all the things that bless you. All the ways that make you happy. And then go do that to other people. If you you want people to let you in in the midst of traffic, you do the same. If you want help with the dishes when you're washing them, then you go and you... Help with the dishes. If you want to receive good, good presents at Christmas, then go give good presents for Christmas. It sounds so simple. It's radical. <laughs> this, is, this is radical. This is life in the kingdom. God's making us a community, a community not of self-love, but of selfless love because we've all been freed in the love of Christ our Savior. It's an incredible opportunity. You get to go and do this because of the work of God in your life. This is what he's doing in our relationships, how we think of other people. This wraps up what he's been teaching. And then beginning in verse 13, he transitions to his conclusion of the sermon. That's point number two. There's only one way that leads to life. Look back at verse 13. 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. I remember John Piper, who wrote the biography of all the servants. Christian author and pastor. I remember him beginning a sermon once. He's in his 70s. And he began his sermon saying, I can't believe I'm still a Christian. He was just marveling at God's persevering grace in his life and his delight to still be on the way. To still be walking on that narrow way, serving God. The Lord, grateful for God's keeping him. I think that's the effect this text should have on us. Can you believe you're a Christian? We were once on the way that led to destruction. But in God's kindness, by his grace, he has led us to this narrow way. As I've been studying this this week, I've been thinking often about that old marine motto, the few the proud, the Marines. But Christians, I mean, the Christians are the few, the humbled, the poor in spirit, the rescued. And as those, Jesus is calling us to something. It's his sermon's conclusion. It's time for a response to what he's been preaching, a response in our hearts. We have to know this deeply. There are only two ways the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. He cuts across what we love in our flesh as people. Lots of options, lots of room. We we want that Jesus says there's only two and no more. This is wisdom that we need to endure because if you know it's your only option, you're going to be fortified when it gets hard. You know, we all love ease. We, we all prefer an easier way. Let me ask you a question. When, when you are faced with any kind of line in your life, it doesn't matter what kind of line, you know, grocery store, traffic, security at the airport, ticket counter, any kind of line in your life, what is your immediate reaction or response? It's always, I mean, our tendency, most of us, our tendency in that moment We're looking for the easier line, the quicker line. We even have our own uh, ways of calculating which one's going to be faster. You know, it's not just what they have in the cart. It's how they're communicating and how quick they are. And We think we're going to save years of our lives by making these decisions. Some of you don't. Some of you stay in the line you initially see. Why? Because you think that's easier. To not have to worry about it. The point I'm trying to illustrate, we all seek ease. We all prefer ease. We have this tendency towards ease. Jesus is saying, don't be deceived. When it comes to life in the kingdom, the easier way is not the better way. He wants us to endure. The, The easy way, it means broad or spacious or roomy. Commentator John Stott says this, there's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions, laxity of morals. It is the road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries of either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations, that is, the desires of the human heart in its fallenness. That's why the broad road is easy. Remember, Jesus has been preaching against the Pharisees, those who thought you could make it easy. You could make it into the kingdom on your own. Just adhere to this list of rules. They were trying to make it easy. but The way to life is not like that. It's hard. It's narrow. What does Jesus require? Remember, chapter 5, verse 20, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that, Of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why it's narrow, because your righteousness must be a true righteousness received by faith in Christ. On that broad path, you can take whatever you want. Your own self-made religion, your own self-righteousness, your definition of what's true and good. The narrow gate allows for nothing but a self-emptying. Jesus said if you would follow him, you must first deny yourself. Many are on the broad path. They are happy in themselves. They're content in themselves. And they are headed for destruction. Few are here. Few have found this path to life, and yet do you hear Christ's invitation? It's what we celebrated this morning. He came down to give it to us. This is what he came to bring us into. He came to make a way. He has made a way. He says in John 14, he is the way. Few will find it, but in Christ we have. Jesus wants us to endure. He's adjusting our expectations. He's preparing us for the way of the kingdom. It's either one or the other. There's no middle ground. It's either hard or easy. There's no middle way. It's either broad or narrow. There are many or there are few. You're headed either to destruction or to life. One application I think we can pull is, have you found the Christian life to be challenging? Are you wrestling with sin? Is there a fight for faith in your soul? Are you experiencing any persecution maybe or conflict with people because of what you believe? Are you having to make difficult decisions, whether big or small, in your life because you want to please the Lord and it's hard to seek to follow Him in this fallen world? Do you feel different and outcast and separate from the world, dismissed or marginalized? If so, be encouraged. Jesus said it would be this way. You're on the narrow road. And fight to stay there. He'll keep you as you follow him. You know, if you're in this room and you're not a Christian, what we can't do is try to make the entrance broader in an effort to serve you because it won't. Some things must be left behind in order to enter the narrow gate you can't bring hidden sin you can't bring your own good works you can't bring anything that you love more than the savior so what what is that thing for you seeking to hold on to jesus is inviting you to find life by entering the narrow way denying yourself and trusting in him dr martin lloyd jones says this, look at him, follow him, and realize that ultimately you are going to be with him and to look into his blessed face and enjoy him to all eternity. He is on this way, and that is enough. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Third point. His warnings are gracious comforts. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Here are Jesus' Warnings. Remember, he's preparing us for the journey. There will be false prophets. And this is what they'll do. They will either dilute the criteria, trying to make the way more broad, or they will add criteria that is perceivingly achievable, trying to make the way more broad. Either way, they sell a false gospel. They look like sheep, but inwardly, they are not. They are something else. Ravenous wolves, they destroy because they lead astray. So Jesus is calling us to be discerning. Be aware. And here's the good news. Time and truth are on our side. Look at verse 16. You will recognize them. By their fruits are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. You cannot hide what is inside of man. Whatever he is It will come out. Maybe not immediately. Fruit can take some time to be produced, but eventually. So the call is to look carefully. Be discerning. We need to pay attention to this illustration. He's giving us another means to stay on the way. When it comes to teachers of God's word, don't be impressed By flashiness or skill even or gifting. Be discerning. Look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of their lives. Look at the fruit of their teaching. Some of you know that I'm a sucker for a good nonstick pan. Well, when Teflon was first developed in the 40s, by DuPont, people thought it was the most amazing thing ever and ended up putting it in all kinds of household products, not just nonstick cookware. Everyone was excited about Teflon. It was a big deal until it came out that some of the chemicals involved were making it were, were actually harming people. And there actually seemed to be a cover-up with that. They saw bad fruit, and it caused them to question. They began to look for other alternatives, decided, began to question if they wanted this product everywhere in their homes. Jesus is gracious to warn us. The Christian life, it's a real life. It's not life apart from trouble. It's not a theoretical life. It's in the real world. There is a war out there. It's difficult. There is need for endurance. There is need. We have need for discernment. And that's what Jesus is giving us in this text. False prophets are going to be attractive. They're going to appeal to our desire for ease. And our desire for performance they're going to discourage any kind of serious self-examination or calls to repent of sin they're not going to speak biblically about sin they're going to avoid the reality of a coming judgment and they will lead astray not so with true prophets True prophets, true shepherds, they teach God's word. They sound like Jesus. No, they say, the way is not easy. It's narrow. It's difficult, but God is faithful. And he will keep you. And your hope rests in him alone. Jesus is the best shepherd. <laughs> he guards us as we follow him. Here's here's what we learn about the trees. You can't make yourself a Christian just by trying to add fruit, by adding good fruit, like tying good fruit on a diseased tree. That is not what a Christian is. A tree isn't good because the fruit is good. The fruit is good because of the tree. There's something in the tree. The tree is healthy. Something fundamental is going on in that tree. The same is true with a Christian. Not that a Christian never sins. The point is that in an ongoing way, a healthy tree bears good fruit. That's true with a Christian. You have been born again. You have been made new. You will bear fruits of the Spirit. Your life will be characterized by bearing fruit. You know, you can fake fruits for a time, but it won't last false prophets will be exposed. So be discerning. Don't listen to those whose lives and teaching don't bear good fruit. One application I think here is when he says the good tree bears good fruit is just to think, man, is there any real fruit in your life? And if so, that's reason for joy. It's just so hard for us to see fruit in our lives. And so we should encourage one another and point out fruit. If there is good fruit, a diseased tree can't bear good fruit. So if you're bearing good fruit, there is much to be encouraged by. And we should point that out to one another and give God all the glory. We need help to endure on this narrow way. In verse 21, Jesus gives us another warning. Lawlessness, that's that's perhaps some of the most sobering verses in this gospel. What a horrific scenario. Standing before the Lord, claiming to have lived for him. Claiming to have done mighty things in his name, and yet to hear that verdict, depart from me. You know, these people knew the right things to say. They say, Lord, Lord, they're even earnest about it. Their confession was accurate. It was public. It was zealous. It was accompanied by powerful things. What greater evidence is needed to know if someone's legitimate? But Jesus gives the answer when he says, I never knew you. Dr. Lloyd-Jones again, he says nothing is more dangerous than to rely on your own correct belief and a fervent spirit and to assume that as long as you believe the right things and are zealous and keen and active concerning them, you are therefore of necessity a Christian. The point is a Christian is not someone who's just really earnest A Christian is one who knows God is so holy, so holy that he cannot allow sin into his presence, that people are sinful and deserving of eternal judgment and death and wrath. A Christian is one who believes that he himself deserves that end, and that he's so vile. And helpless, that nothing but the coming of the Son of God from heaven to earth to bear the shame and the agony and the cruelty of the cross could ever save him, reconciling him to God, putting his faith fully in the finished work of Jesus. That's the one who is a Christian, that's the one who does the will of the father in heaven. See these people that Jesus is talking about that they were boasting not in Christ. They were boasting in their works and saying Christ. In Luke 10 after the 72 Jesus sends out these 72 to go do ministry and then they come back. They're so excited. They say, even even the demons are subject to us in your name, Jesus. They're so happy to have seen fruit. They're so happy to have gotten to participate with Jesus and see these mighty works with his ministry. And these are his true disciples. Yet even to them, after their report, in the midst of their excitement, he says, that's not what you want to rejoice in most. Great things, good things. But rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. That's what ought to bring the greater joy. That's what's worth being more, most excited about. There's something so much more important than just doing things for Jesus. It's knowing him. Really, it's being known by him. The language is strong. It means an intimate relationship. That kind of knowledge. There are definitely some, I'm sure, who need this warning. You're not a Christian because of the things you do. Don't be deceived. That's not what the Lord's after. What He's after is a relationship with you. Throughout this passage, there are warnings of judgment, severe warnings. The way is easy that leads to destruction, verse 13. Verse 19 the the trees that don't bear good fruit are cut down and thrown in the fire. Verse 23, I never knew you, he says. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Heed these warnings. Hell is real and terrible to think about. The wrath our sin deserves is eternal torment because our God is just that holy. Our sin against him is just that bad because of who he is. It is so bad that it took the death of the Son of God to pay for it. But paid for it in full he did that we might find life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Glory to God. If you are a Christian If you are not a Christian, heed God's warning and hear his invitation. Enter the narrow gate. Find life in the risen Christ. But that's not the primary application of this text. Jesus is talking to his disciples. And he doesn't say this so that they would wonder, well, are they real Christians or not? This isn't meant to threaten them or us. It's not meant to shed doubt on our salvation. The warning is a means of grace. It's a reminder that those who trust in their own works are deceived. It's a reminder that at the end of it all, when we stand before the Lord, what matters most is not all the fruit. It all belongs to Him anyway. What matters most is that He knows us. What matters most is that He has set his love on us, and that by faith we are united to Christ. We believe he is the risen Lord, forgiving us of sin and belonging to him. And if he knows you, what What greater hope is there than being known by the Lord our God? If he knows you, then he will keep you from all evil, Behind you and before, he will sustain you through this journey now and evermore. And when you fear your faith will fail, Christ will hold you fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold you fast. I could never keep my soul through life's fearful path for my love is often cold he must hold me fast and he will he will he will keep you as you follow him oh it's such a privilege to be in the kingdom such a privilege to know the lord To be able to love people like he calls us to. To be able to follow him. To endure. Jesus is so gracious to give us this instruction and these warnings that we would remain with him. John 10, we'll end with this. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. And my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father And I lay down my life for the sheep. Yes, he has. He will keep you as you follow him. And may he give us grace to always follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we pray for that. We ask in Jesus' name that you would enable us to endure the life of faith. Oh, Lord, keep us. Help us as we follow you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your gracious word, your words of life. Where else are we gonna go? You have the words of eternal life. We pray you would plant these words deep in our hearts. You cause us to endure and to marvel, to be those who love you and trust you and to bank ourselves fully on you And your promises. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your goodness. We ask you to receive all glory for the work you are doing in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Zach Varnell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.